Welcome to Racket Fuel, where we launch into great conversations and share powerful tools to help you become a stronger rackets leader. Your hosts are Kim Bastable, a former All-American tennis player and now Director of Tennis Management at the University of Florida, and Simon Gale, the USTA National Campus Director of Racket Sports. Today on Racket Fuel, we'll continue a two-part conversation with Len Samard, search and consulting executive with Copland, Keebler, and Wallace, a firm that annually manages hundreds of searches for club leadership positions around the U.S. Len specializes in searches for directors of racket sports, so he knows what it takes to succeed in the role. Here are Kim and Simon with part two of that discussion. Welcome to Racket Fuel. I'm Kim Bastable, and I'm here with my co-host, Simon Gale. How are you doing today, Simon? Great, Kim. I'm really excited to get back online here with Len and, and, and dig into this director of racket sports and the evolution of it. So welcome, Len. Glad to have you back again. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks, uh, Kim, for inviting me. Simon, it's always, it's always fun to, to work with you. So, Len, we just talked offline a little bit recently about the, the kind of rapid rise of the director of racket sports. It wasn't long ago that you were just a director of tennis and the, the paddle courts were a, a winter sport for a handful of members, but the, the director of tennis took the winters off and moved to sunnier climates and then came back up next summer. So that has changed very quickly. And I guess my question to you is, is, is that been a good thing for a director? More annual uh, year-long positions and adding other racket sports to their, their bow of tricks? So just talk a little bit about how that's changed and, and, and your thoughts and whether that's been good for, for the director of tennis to evolve. Well, I have mixed feelings on that one because I, as you, as you may or may not remember, I, I spent 22 summers up in, in Connecticut from Florida and we valued that. Myself, my family valued that tremendously. But if I'm looking at it as, as an, uh, an understanding from a, from a club's perspective, a board perspective, a management perspective, a membership perspective, I, I do feel that the transition that is happening nationwide, which is which is an annual director of rackets, is the way to go. Uh, it it just is because if you look at you know even Florida or, or Arizona or some of the cl- some of the climates that typically were very very slow in the summer times, they're expanding. COVID changed a lot of that where where people want to be outside and they they want to stay involved in in their community longer it's it was safe environment so they you know the, many clubs i can to be honest i can only think of less than a handful of clubs now in the entire state of florida for example that allow their directors of rackets to leave to go to another summer uh, opportunity and that used to be very different than that and and then vice versa from the northern clubs uh, the the seasonal professionals in the summertime they've been asked to stretch out on both ends they they want the courts open in early April now as or as soon as they can be depending on where you're where you're at and they want outdoor programming to last as long as November November first so now immediately it it sort of disallows you from from going back and forth certainly as a director. But there's there's a few other reasons why I think it's 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 taken a, a huge turn to be a trend now is because that director sees all the members year round and and so the ones that they had for example playing paddle 
and they're very skilled or they just love the sport. They don't even have to be skilled. They, they can transition into tennis and vice versa. Um, so if, if you only saw them on the tennis court and you weren't promoting platform tennis in the wintertime and you don't have indoor tennis, what an opportunity you have to combine and mesh the sports and, and the membership together. And I would think that because I'm now required to potentially teach three, four, five racket sports, depending on the facility, does that not give the potential for a better compensation package for one of these directors of racket sports versus being able to teach just say one sport? Has that evolved as well? Absolutely. Yeah. So you're right. And and we're, we're not only just this person, because we don't think the director of racket should be on court all that much, but it does allow for the program to be successful. And that means pr- just from a programming perspective, but also a monetary perspective, as you, as you alluded to. So, you know, now you're, we're seeing a lot of uh, hires that, that are head professionals or, or directors of pickle and paddle, you know, so they actually can run platform tennis in the winter and do pickleball in the, in the summertime. And pedals come in both, you know, usually more summer, but but certainly, you know, in the in the shoulder seasons as well. So yes, you're you're absolutely right. And if the director has has the ability to see and tie these sports together, which is probably one of their top five deliverables that they should be doing as a director, if you have multi sports, is tying them together. Then then absolutely, it should be something that. In, improves finances and and stability, which is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. But you know, it it improves your 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 likelihood of being retained for for a long time and becoming a long tenured uh, an employee. And I would think you've also mentioned in the last episode when you talked about the skill set required and understanding budgets and and presenting to committees and so on. Surely, if you've engaged more members and you're getting golfers who never used to come and play tennis start to try pickleball or padel and and the wives of of members are getting their kids and themselves out more often that must help in terms of presenting budget requests and the ability to ask for more for your team if you've increased the level of engagement at a country club which is ultimately what the experience is about isn't it for these members yeah spot on exactly another very important element to it i remember one of my clubs, you know, they this was a member equity club. I won't I won't say which one at this time to protect the guilty. But you know, they they said, hey, you know, why isn't Rackets a profit center? Now again, we know it could be if 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 it's in a, in a commercial environment, but we also know it could be in a, in a non an, equ- an equity environment, non profit scenario, because they're it's a dues driven business and 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 type of process. So. Again, when you see a loss in a department at a member equity club, it's not taken into account the dues allocations. So it really does allow you to to say, here's where we are. We've just now introduced 50 or 60 new players to, to, to our department, and we're still only operating at 3.5% of the gross annual revenue of the club. Which is about the national average, three and a half to four percent. Boy, we're really taking care of a lot of people. So I had to actually go back and 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 list all the people that we took care of. And it, you know, it was two. I'm just, you know, two hundred and fifty people. 
and there might have been 500 players, uh, sorry, 500 members. So, you know, there was a lot of people engaged in racket sports. And this is a great time then to say, hey, you know, can we increase our budget? Can we hire more new staff? Can we have more amenities? Can we expand with more pickle or, or paddle courts? It gives you all the justification in the world to proceed with, as you just said, Simon, raising the bar in, in rackets. This is the time to do it. And sometimes you have to get that granular to explain that to your general manager. But, but I heard a stat lately, and I don't know if this is a good stat or not. Is it true that um, about 20 to 30 percent of most country clubs are engaged in the rackets? And at this club, I kind of heard that through, it was about 24% tennis and about 32% pickleball. And of course, there's some crossover there between them. But how, is that about the nationwide? Because that does account for a lack of, you know, power to make change in the rackets facilities if golf is, is theoretically, I think, you know, maybe 100% of the people don't play golf at a club, but maybe 90 do. What's the stat? I don't. I I would say ninety percent would be a little high for 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 golf too. But let me say I I don't have the the statistics for that club benchmarking. Our partner partners will probably have that. But off the top of my head, I don't want to miscalculate that that data. But I will say that if it's twenty five or you know between twenty and thirty percent that are that are playing racket sports, I can assure you that's up considerably from ten years ago. And that's the key. Yeah, yeah that's the yeah. important note. Right, right. So, you know, again, it's, I always would try and, you know, present my case to, to my superior, my general manager at any club that I've been at, that we take care of a lot of people, whether it's 20 or 30% or 35%, when you, when you actually, if you have a thousand members, that's a lot of people. <laughs> so I go, we take care of so many people and they're so satisfied and they're so happy. Do you, do you, do you not feel that this three and a half or 4% that we're being allocated is, is, is fair? You know, again, that's, that's without any dues allocation. So that's just you know, a three and a half to 4% so-called loss without dues allocation. I keep putting that in there. Um, you know, is that not a pretty good thing? You know, especially when you know that includes maintenance too, where golf and and, and golf course maintenance are, are are almost always subdivided out, right? There, uh, so the very different budgeting process there. So, Len, just shifting topics a little bit and focusing in a little more on one of what we would probably call an industry issue, definitely a future issue, is that we stand to lose potentially thirty to forty percent of our industry's teaching pros, which will include an extensive number of leaders, which is good for your business, I would think. We stand to lose a lot of our veteran teaching pros as they age out over the next 10 years or so. So the concern is going forward, and you've heard me speak about it. Kim and I have spoken about it at conferences and, and on this podcast as well. Are we attractive to the next generation of tennis professionals? And there's a lot of talk about what this generation needs moving forward for any business or any job to be attractive. But in relation to the tennis industry, we hear about work weeks, development pathways, compensation. What are your thoughts on how we move forward and evolve to be more appealing and continue to be a healthy, healthy industry? 
Well, Simon, I, the first thing I'd like to say is I, I have 100% confidence that our the next generation of leaders will will follow through and they will fill in and, and, and we will be successful in rackets. That's That should be firstly stated. I think that there's so many ways of presenting our profession in sport better than, than how we're doing it. And, and every leader talks about that in, in our world, but we really haven't come up with a bona fide way of, of doing it. Listen, I, I've got a son who, who's, who's in the business myself. He's, he's getting the experience that he needs in Texas. He's teaching, he's learning the industry, and he, he knows you know, what, is, what his dedication is going to need to be to become a director of rackets, which ultimately I think is where his ambitions lay. But there are so many ways of, of getting it across. I, I alluded a little bit earlier that I think that directors of rackets are doing a better job than they used to 10 years ago or more about developing their staff. And I think that that should be everybody's role as a director of rackets to, to take a chart and start knocking off how many directors of rackets have you created in your lifetime or how are you helping them become uh, directors, assuming they want to be, and aiding that. That's, that's one way. You know, education through all associations on why this is such a phenomenal career. There's a lot of people who have come out and said, you know, very controversial to what I just said. They said, I would never tell anybody to get involved in, in the rackets industry. It's crazy. They, there's so much work. They get yelled at. There's, there's hours are long. They're working holidays, weekends, and evenings. There's very little job security. And, and I typically disagree with almost all of those things. We get into a pretty heated debate. And some of those people that I'm referring to are very high profile in, a, in our world, but they just say they haven't seen it. But first of all, I think it's a very lucrative way. If, if, you know, it's, it's not such a bad living. You know, it's quite frankly, it can be a great living. If, if, you, if you do your due diligence with, with savings, uh, you can do very well in, in, in your career monetarily. Number two, I think it's a very rewarding uh, way of, 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 of earning a living, I, dealing with people and making them feel great and helping people and helping your, your club and, and, your, and, your, and the success of the club and doing your part and getting to work with other great people and department heads and, and progressing through a career, I think is phenomenal. I, I would never tell anybody not to get in, into this business. I think that we are making strides now to, to a little bit of a more reasonable work-life balance. I think that, that today's world has changed our industry a little bit. And although I think the first year is, is something that you might have to prove yourself a little bit, you know, but I have always been able to talk to my club and say, hey, I'd love more time off. I'd, I'd love to have, instead of three weeks off, I, w- I would like five weeks off in lieu of pay in some cases. And they have always said fine to that. If you have a great staff, which we, we, we talked about a little bit earlier, that one of the key ways of being successful in this industry is hiring a very reputable staff and decision makers as number twos and threes in, in your organization, that no member, no club manager, no board is going to say, no, you have to work here morning, noon, and night. They're not going to do that. So, so I think that, you know, with the correct hiring, with a good a- outlook on what this profession is, 
I think that your boards, your your rackets, committees, and your managers will support a good work-life balance. That's great insight, Lynn. I would love for you to share with us the story you told about your son and how he decided that he wanted to get in the rackets industry. And it was growing up with a dad in the industry. He was not inspired, but it wasn't until he saw you be recognized, if I recall, that he realized the impact you had had. Can you tell about that? Well, now now I'm going to get emotional. I mean, I can't believe you remembered that because I must have told you that story years and years and years ago. Well, I think it's impactful because it speaks to the point that tennis pros maybe don't, they look like ball feeders, yeah, but yeah. they're quite more than that. And I think your story tells it well. I'd love for you to share it. Well, I, I was very fortunate, as, as I mentioned, to spend 22 summers, mind you, at the New Canaan Field Club. And when I tenured my resignation, you know, it was very emotional for me, for the club. I loved it there, you know, and again, not to cut through it, but I had many opportunities to, to, to go on to another club, but I chose not to because they treated me so well. And that's, by the way, that's, that's a great lesson to all search committees and, and rackets committees. If you treat your staff well, and this is more than just what you're mentioning with ours, uh, Simon, but if you treat them well, they will stay. <laughs> it's that simple. When I talk with, with, with search committees all the time, they're like, well, how do we know they're going to stay? I said, well, that's up to you. <laughs> that's your job. So um, going back to it, it was emotional when I resigned. But what they did, they were at a time when they, they didn't have a ton of money in the bank. So it's not like I got a big 22-year severance package. They decided to throw me a party. And during that party, they, they decided to, to name the actual tennis complex after me. And they had a picture of me done on, on, on bronze, and they had a great quote about excellence in, in the programming underneath it. Uh, they invited my whole family to the party. My son, who, who had been in the Army for five years in the U.S. Army, wasn't sure what he really wanted to do. And he was doing it, was floundering around in a few different things. So he came, as well as my, my two daughters, and my, obviously my wife was there. So we, we had this party, and one after another came up and started to, to give a little story about how I had affected their life or, or, their, or their child's life. And one in particular came and talked, it was, it was a doctor, and, and both he and his wife were doctors, and they had a very high-performing uh, um, junior member who, who, who was starting in tournaments and doing very well in tournaments, but, but had, quite frankly, a lot of trouble dealing with it. And I was able to, to work with her and, and spend a lot of time on and off the court with her. And he, in front of everybody, says, you know, not only did you do a great job with programming, you know, making our program better and, and teaching us and, you know, having a great pro shop and, you know, always making sure you met budget. He said, you saved our daughter's life. And he went into some more detail about it, which I probably couldn't talk about right now, but it was very impactful to me. And, and uh, my son was listening to all this. And he, of course, went to this doctor later and wanted more information about it. But it does play to the point that we have a profound effect on our members' lives. And if we're doing our job correctly and getting to know who they are and what they like and, and getting to know their family, um, and I, I, I will say that that also translates very accurately to staff, and that's how you become a great leader in, in your industry too, is doing the same kind of thing with your staff. Um, 
then I think this this is as impactful a, a profession as anything out there. We have one-on-one time. We've got time with them in a social environment. We can talk to them in a professional manage, man, um, um, managerial type way. We can talk about their profession uh, and and how you know they're they're so successful and translate to us. There's a relationship that that this profession allows us that almost very few others allow us. And if you are if that's meaningful to you in, in, in your life, then this is, a, this is a phenomenal option for you to take. It's a great story, Len, because I, I, I'm not going to share similar stories, but I think if you, you make that commitment to a facility and you are treated well, that is the ultimate reward, isn't it? Because I think that's a story from years ago that still resonates with you and is so important to you and part yeah. of of, of your reward for those 22 years. That's what you will remember more than how much you got paid, I would think. So I agree exactly. 100%. And I, I don't think we sell that enough in our industry. I think we talk about forehands, backhands, and drills a lot. And right. that is, we're in this people business and we do 10 a second. You know, you hear that a lot. So yeah. great story. And I appreciate you sharing that. And by the way, and uh, again, for, to, to answer it, my son heard it, went, wow. You know, it is it is a little bit more to it, as you just mentioned, Simon. So he decided to go into the profession at that point. He had he had been in and out, but mostly summers, and he decided to get into the profession. And and by the way, every single day he's grateful for the opportunities had, and every single day he says, "I love going to work." So mm, that's great. That's awesome. Well, I love that whole story, just because I think there's a lot of young people out there who misunderstand the role that a a tennis pro can play, does play, even though before their very eyes, that person has probably impacted them greatly. I've been amazed at the number of young people I ask that are players and say, do you think about a career in racket sports? And their answer is no. And I don't really understand why that is. But we need more stories like yours to be public. We need to spread the word of the impact that racket sports leaders can have and any tennis pro can have. So I, I think that's the greatest thing. And then if we have good leadership, we can keep them yeah. as employees. I agree. So that is an excellent summary for today. I think um, we've realized that there's just, I would like to say that if every director of racket sports would develop someone, we would not have a hiring shortage. We would have plenty of people, you know, one for one into this industry constantly, whether they're mentoring a 18 or 20 year old to get into the industry or mentoring a 30 year old to become a director of racket sports, that that is something within our industry that we can sort of stop complaining that we have a shortage and we can do something about it. And I think that could be a a great takeaway from this episode. Would you have any other thoughts, Len? No, I, I think, I think that, you know, so many people will try it, whether, you know, ultimately what we all get into the business because we love the sport. And I think that's going to start changing too, to just loving the sport of say pickle or, or something. And cause I think pickle is going to become a very prominent sport f- for, for youth. And, and there's now various pathways to, to make a great profession in pickleball and it's, or, or it's certainly coming. So again, if you try it, and, and it's a summer job and you like it, talk to somebody about how this can be a career. It's not something that should be viewed as, as non-academia or, or non, 
business like, the skill set that you will need to be successful matches up against anyone in, in most professions. And, and it is very rewarding because you do use your business acumen. You do use your skill sets with people. You do use your, your, your diplomacy. You do use your, your obviously, your physical uh, pieces that, that go along with it. It keeps you in great shape. And, and it, it's a business. And if you like that whole idea, it, it, it can be very rewarding for anybody. Well, we thank you for your time again. We really appreciate it. Uh, your expertise is well known, and uh, it's great to have you be with our listeners today on Racket Fuel. So we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. That's all for today, but we're not out of fuel. You can find more information and resources in our show notes and by visiting RacketFuelPodcast.com. If you liked what you just heard, please subscribe and also leave a review, which helps other people join the mission to become stronger Rackets leaders. This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. The Institute for Coaching Excellence offers various online certificate programs and degrees in partnership with the Department of Sport Management. Learn more today at coaching.hhp.ufl.edu.